Hey guys, I had Jacob Sachs on the podcast with me this time around. Uh, Jacob is a friend of mine from college who has been working on films ever since I've known him. He's a real budding auteur. Um, and I was really lucky to get a chance to sit down with him for a little bit. He's back in town working on his new project, but he's been bouncing around a few different states over the past few years. A uh, very secretive, mysterious guy. Um, so look, really looking forward to uh, sharing that conversation with you, talking about his process. Um, I also wanted to throw out there, there have been a couple of things I've seen recently around town in the theater scene that I wanted to give some uh, shout-outs to. So the Howl Theater Project's uh, new Phoenician sketch comedy show. Uh, I got a chance to see It's great. I always love uh, uh, being able to support small projects like that for people just exploring and uh, having some fun. Um, I also got a chance to go back to the Torch Theater for some improv for the first time in a while, so shout out to them for that. Um, and then I uh, was trying to uh, make it out to the Queer Frida uh, festival that was going on last weekend. It did not make it, but uh, a lot of people who are friends of the podcast and who I know personally were associated with that, and it looked like it was going to be a great time. So huge respect to them. Um, I hope it was a great time. Uh, in the meantime, you enjoy my conversation with Jacob Sachs. Welcome to Starving Artist Phoenix. I'm here with Jacob Sachs. How you doing, Jacob? I'm doing great. How are you, Tony? <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. Thank you, Jacob. <laughs> uh, no, I'm really glad I could finally get you. I know you're a busy guy right now. You're going through post-production on a movie that we're all going to be keeping an eye out for, and I'm sure we're going to be talking about a lot more later on in the podcast. Um, but, I mean, I, ever since I've known you, you've been making films, like completely making films, which I feel like people, you know, they, they talk a lot about how they want to be a filmmaker, they want to get into it and stuff, but, I mean, since I've known you in school, like, you've just been doing it. So how did you, how did you take that step? Well, first I started with you when I said, hey, we need to make a short, and I need a guy to sit in a chair and look sad for two hours. <laughs> and if there's anybody who can just look sad naturally. <laughs> so that was your first time doing no. something complete? No, okay. no, no. So I always knew, I mean, look, when I was, so I was, I'm a very lucky human being, and when I was a 11 years old, I remember it was it was summer vacation, we were staying out in uh, San Diego, mm-hmm. and uh, again, very lucky, being able to do that as a kid, and uh, we went out there, and uh, we were on the beach, and I was talking to my dad, I said, yeah, you know, wouldn't it be really cool to put a camera really low to the sand, because the wind was pushing the sand across, so wouldn't it be really cool to see an image of the sand going across, and maybe you could make it look like a big desert if you just close up on the sand. So we went to Best Buy later that day, and we got a video camera, like a cheapo, I mean, this was... This was 2000, so this was like mini DV, which was kind of the hottest shit at the time. No, it was high eight. It wasn't mini DV. It was high eight. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. It was high. Yeah. So we got a high eight camcorder, and um, which was still really expensive for us. Now you can get one for like five dollars. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I, I think ve- I very yeah, very lucky human. Um, so I got that, and I just started shooting, and I you know I had a tripod from the camera that I had, the still camera I had. Um, and so I would put it on that and I would make movies by myself with my brother um, when I was a tw- 13 I was 13 and my little brother and I were making um, a movie where we were fighting in the street and had this really fancy watch on that was a gift and the watch fell off in the street and my little brother and I we were fighting and we were doing the scene and I didn't want to stop the scene uh, and um, I left the watch in the street got run over by a car two hours later I forgot about it oh um, god damn you're like Jackie Chan, for, like getting cut by a sword in the middle of a scene and continuing his shot because it looks good. Yeah, right. At 12 years old, that's impressive. Um, so you were already doing still photography, so you are always just like a visual kid, like just a visual guy. I always knew I wanted to make movies. Um, yeah, I always knew I wanted to make movies. That's just what it was. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, I mean, was was there always something like was it always something I guess where you had like plots and stories and things, or was it, or was it more the idea of just like playing with a camera, recording images, that type of thing? A lot of it was choreographing scenes to music. Um, all different kinds of scenes, chase scenes, but even, um, which actually was kind of the scene that we did, when that first one we did, which was two people sitting at a table with this soft music playing, and we kind of knew the music going into it, what we were, what it was going to be, and, yeah. and um, kind of shooting it to that tone of the music, and it's always been attaching images to music. 
um, which is funny because I'm not big on. I mean, I do watch movies because I understand I need to, but I'm much more about listening to music. I'd rather make movies. And, and I know you've done a lot of like music video work too. So I mean, was that the primary intention for you? Like, I, do you seek that out, or have you just kind of become known as a good guy to go for that? As you will see with my movie Static, which comes out, uh, it'll be done early September and uh, will be submitted to Sundance this year for 2018, so we'll see what happens. But that movie, short film Static, uh, as you will see in the climax of that movie, um, it's basically a music video. A song starts and it's motivated to start. There's a radio playing and the radio starts playing a song and the song begins a chase scene. And um, it's it just it's really cool. We choreographed it to the song. I mean, I spent... The song, so I've been working on this story for four years, and that song has been a part of the story for about three. Uh, in fact, I actually discovered that song when I first started writing this idea, in, when I was living in L.A. This was when I was working as a grip in L.A., um, uh, doing a lot of stuff out there. Um, oh, you want to talk about advice for people? Um, that's a really good... Look, I understand... Um, look, I hate L.A. L.A. is the worst city <laughs> in the world, but if you want to just... If you have some money saved up, a couple grand, save up a couple grand, just go out there. And, and try and find gigs. Craigslist it. Fucking, you know, you'll have to work for free. That's the thing. Save up money because you'll have to work for free for about a month or two. Yeah. I was very lucky. I was getting paid within three weeks when I was there. I also hustled really, really hard and didn't sleep for like the first month that I was there because I was hustling so hard. So there's that. Um, but you don't need to do that. You just got to find what the priority is for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> What exactly. the sacrifices you're willing to make. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's the thing is this, this the way for me is if you want to do it, do it. And like you said, actually making films. If you want to make movies, make movies. Um, but I also do believe perfect practice makes perfect. So in that sense, make your movie, watch it, and you have to be able to say what you did wrong. So even if it's like, I mean, whatever the equivalent of a Super 8 is nowadays, but I, I don't know, iPhone 6 movie, um, if, even if it's something like that, there has to be a certain standard that it, it should be meeting. You have to know what the limitations are, and you have to at least get to those limitations and not exceed them. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean not exceeding limitations? I, I mean, like if uh, if somebody's just starting off and they're making a movie, they have to understand like what the limitations are, the device they can actually get to. Yeah, lighting, mm -hmm. lighting, lighting wise, yes. But I would say it's more about the storytelling. Um, you know, and I, that's the thing is, make a movie. If you don't have the money to buy a camera, cameras are expensive. Do you have a phone? You have a camera phone? Do something. Practice it. Think of the idea, you know, and get iMovie or Windows Movie Maker or something. Just cut something together. You know, shoot a scene. Shoot a scene of two people looking at each other talking and then shoot the coverage. It's about understanding what coverage is. And by coverage, I mean yeah. shooting the scene from multiple different angles. Right. You know, you got to run through the scene and you got to get used to this idea of, oh, I got to run through the scene a thousand times and put the camera here for four times and put the camera here for four times and maybe put the camera here for 20 times and then have the producer and AD yell at you and then you gotta do this take only once because you don't have time for more than one take. Gotcha. I think that's what I mean. I think that's what I, like, I think I'm on the same page as you. So I feel like the important thing to remember like when you're making like your first movies and stuff is that I think it's easy to like look at footage you shoot on your phone and being like, it's not gonna be perfect. I shot it on my phone, whatever, and like kind of writing it off. So I think it, like it's important to for people to keep aware of what you can do and doing everything possible like to make a professional within the limitations that they have. So like even if you're shooting on a phone, you can still shoot that coverage. You can still shoot a bunch of different angles and cut it together. You gotta be able to kind of take it to its utmost extent and whatever that might be. Exactly. Don't let the lack of equipment lead to a lack of story. You can still tell a great story with no equipment. And yeah, it's gonna look better if you have good equipment. It's gonna, you know, if you shoot something on on a Galaxy phone, it's not gonna look as good as if you shot it on a red, plain and simple. Um, doesn't mean you can't practice telling stories and then practice, 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 and then when you're ready to make a big movie with a lot of money and do it, then you'll be ready. And and that was the thing about me is, and you even saw it, I think we used one light, and 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 it's, and I, I mean, granted, I was DP and directing on that, and this movie that I just did, Static, I had a DP, Aiden Chaperoni, fantastic DP, the best DP I've ever worked with. Um, because I would say, what can I do for you? And he would say, leave, leave for five minutes. Go talk to your actors. <laughs> and I come back and it looks great. And I didn't tell him anything. He just knew because we were on the same page. And that's the key too. A way to practice movies is, is pr have one person be the director. Have one person be the DP, DP and understand the difference between those roles. You know, you focus on the way it looks and I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell the actor what to do and I'm gonna tell you where to put the camera. At least that's how I operate. I know some directors don't even tell you where to put the camera. They just expect the DP to know. I'm glad you brought that up because that was a question I wanted to ask you. It was like, how much do you, like technical knowledge do you think a director should be expected to have when it, coming into it? Because I think that director's supposed to be this perfect marriage of like the 
creative side of it and like the just like the raw technical knowledge of what needs to be done. So I mean, what do you, what would you expect from a director? Honestly, uh, and I wish I knew. I think a, a really famous director. I'm not going to drop any names because I forget who said it. it I've read it a quote somewhere, and I don't want to be wrong. Like it was you. It's not me. No, it wasn't. Um, the director needs to be the least technical, uh, knowledgeable person on the set because it doesn't matter. They don't need to know how to operate a camera. There's someone there whose job is to operate a camera. They don't need to know how to operate lights because there are, there are uh, electrics and ga- the gaffer there to operate the lights. There are grips to do the grip work. The director needs to know how to tell a story with the camera and how to communicate with his actors and get his actors in the most comfortable space so they can perform to the best of their capabilities. They just need to be really good at explaining the pictures in their head, basically. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, because I've always had really vivid dreams, and, and you know, I always, that's another good thing for, if you want to be a writer, write down your dreams. That'll really get you in the mood of writing, and it'll help you think creatively, literally when your mind is jumping out of the box while you're sleeping. Uh, that's a really good, write down your dreams in the morning, or just say them out loud. Even if you just say them out loud, it'll really help you. Um... You know, I have very vivid dreams, really good at explaining images, and uh, so I just tell the DP, I want it to look like this, I want it to feel like this, and, and Aiden, it made, I also got really lucky, I had a very talented DP, um, who really was on the same page as me, which is also why I picked him as the DP, I had five options for a DP, and I picked this guy, because this is kind of a, the movie is very much inspired by punk rock, it's not, as much as it's not a punk rock movie, punk rock inspired it, and Every person I spoke to, I'd like you to DP. Um, what's the rate? What's the rate? What's the rate? What's the rate? I'm looking for a DP. What's the rate? What's the rate? What's the rate? Yeah. Um, oh yeah, we're making this punk rock movie. I always start with we're making a punk rock movie, and the first thing Aiden said to me was, "Oh, well, what kind of bands do you listen to?" You're saying punk rock, and so I knew, I knew as soon as he said that that he needed to be the DP of the movie. So it was very good. Our communication was great, and uh, you know we made mistakes, of course, but we're able to watch the footage and look up. We messed up there. We messed up there. Oh, we should have done it this way. Oh, and the biggest lesson we learned is that even if you're running out of time, sometimes all you got to do is say, hey, 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 take five. We just, we just need to think about this. Take one, take two. Hey, it's okay. We, we need to calm our feet for a second. So, I mean, that is an important thing to remember is like the, the stuff that you do very much is a leadership role. Was that something that was always easy for you to jump into? I'm breathing and sighing if you can't hear. <laughs> um, you know, yes, um, I always was really, like, I was a camp counselor for young kids when I was, like, 14. Um, I remember when I was in middle school, I would volunteer with the kindergarten classes. I was always very much a mentor. I did teach children's theater for a while from when I was in my tw- early 20s. I would teach children aged, like, 6 to 12 um, theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of improv games, a lot of... Get your sillies out. All right, and reach for the sky. Now reach for your toes. Now walk around like you're walking on bubble gum. There's bubble gum all over the floor. Now walk around like the floor's on fire. Now walk around like it's ice and you're sliding everywhere. And you know, and really getting kids to explore. And one of my favorite games is what do you see, what do you hear? And I'd get all of them behind me and I'd say, all right, we're going adventuring somewhere. Let's adventure together through the jungle. And I would lead them through and then I would say, all right, wander through the jungle. And they would go off on their own. Look, I see a tiger. Oh, I'm climbing a tree over here. And really get the kids to get out of the box in their head. It's My movie is about a guy who gets in a box and because when you're in a box, the best way is to get in and then get out of the box. Just get back in the box and then jump out. I guess that doesn't make sense, but whatever. And um, and that's what it's all about. Uh, and I feel like I went a little off topic with what you were saying. But for some, no, where are you coming from? So I mean, it seems like you were able to kind of take some of the skills of, of what you did when you were teaching, just like being able to be in that mentor role, like, and I guess not even lead people, but encourage people, guide people to where you want them to be, so you're on the same page. Yes, but don't get me wrong. I'm a, I'm an asshole. I feel really bad actually. Um, there was there was one time where I said something to my actress, my actress, my lead actress, Molly Jaisa, super talented. It's out of control, and uh, she, who's really good to work with. But one time she was she did something, and I said, I was like, oh that sucked. Do it again. <laughs> And she rolled her eyes at me, and it's on camera, you can hear it, you can oh, see God. it, and she just rolls her eyes and goes, yes, Jacob, under her breath, and she wore a lob, so I heard it. Uh-huh. And um, you could see the frustration in her eye roll, and it looked really rude, but I deserved an eye roll because I was being a fucking <laughs> asshole. But then the next take is the one that we use for that part. So, yeah, I was a dick, but I got the right performance. 
So if you take anything away from this podcast, it's be rude to your actors because it works 100. <laughs> well, when it also keep in mind, it was kind of an intense scene, yeah. and she wasn't. The thing was, she needed to act like she was getting shocked. Yeah. She wasn't shocking enough. She wasn't. It wasn't bouncing. It was like she was just like flowing into it, and I really wanted her body to seize. And I understand that's hard to do, and it hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I said, "That sucked. Do it again." I went seize, and she. So, and it was perfect. So when you're behind the camera like that, and you you're trying to get the take that you're looking for, is it always like an intangible thing where for you where it's like that's mm, not what I want. It's not what I want. Do something else. It's not what I want. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Okay. Sometimes I know exactly what I want, and I explain it, and it just takes a second for them to grab it. Sometimes I'm not explaining it right, and I got to figure it out. And um, sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I'll say just do it differently, or I do say do it better sometimes. Sometimes I'll say, just do it better. And typically that means, just do it differently. I don't know. You know? Because sometimes I don't know. And, and the actors know the character better than I do. Uh, I'd, I'd say with this movie, what I learned the most, actually, is that you can never have enough rehearsal time. And, but we had a ton of rehearsal time. That's the thing about it. Camera wasn't prepared. We didn't spend enough time writing shallows. We did not. But what we did was we spent a ton of time rehearsing and a ton of time building our sets. So our sets looked really good, our costumes looked really good, and our actors knew what, knew what they were doing. Camera was very much free form, but you can wing camera. All right, we're gonna put the camera here, run the scene. We're gonna put the camera here, run the scene. Oh, we didn't like that, move the camera. The actors know the scene really well. It was crazy. What line are we on? And there's, a, there's a seven minute scene in one room with three characters yelling at each other. They're arguing. And it's an intense argument. They're fighting, and it's, it's, it's not a full fight. They talk, and then fight, and talk, and fight. And, um, all right, go to this line. The actors go to that spot. All right, go to this line. Actors go to that spot. They just knew. Yeah. And that's the reason why we were able to do it, is because the actors learned the characters very well, and they learned their blocking and lines very well. So we were able to bounce, really hit our marks. And the actors... And I knew that that's what we, because we didn't, I, I didn't have the money or time to spend all this time prepping with camera, and I did the whole movie myself. Yeah. And um, I thought to myself, I would rather spend time on production design and acting than camera, because in the end, you can wing camera. Mm-hmm. And, and sure, that means you're not going to have as many cool shots, but I designed cool shots. I designed my cool shots, and I said, boom, the cool shots are here. Have a couple long dollies. Have, we have a, a minute-long dolly shot, which is really cool. There's a lot of stuff happening. Actually, right after your scene. Tony's in this, by the way. He plays Customer Valuta, and he's wonderful. You fucking crushed it. All five seconds I'm on stage. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> um, no, but, okay, so that's, that's interesting, though, because, I mean, I feel like that's your theater background coming out. Because I know that, um, I mean, obviously, you just said you teach some theater. I've seen that you do some acting on stage. So do you feel like that influences you a lot in the, your style? Totally, yeah. because I want the acting to be good. And, <laughs> and, and I, I, wanted it to, I wanted this movie to feel like a play in your mind. Basically, I want to like take these little characters and I want them to plant them in your mind and I want them to dance around and say, ha ha, here's this great story. And when they leave your mind at the end of the story, your mind feels great because it was such a positive energy story. And it gave you a very impactful message and it, it gave almost a, it's an impactful message, but at the end it makes you feel good and ready to listen to the message. And um, really the message is just be happy. And um, I think the one thing I'll say about the world today is I feel like there isn't enough happiness and I don't think there's enough stress on happiness. I think people are focused on other things. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of turmoil. And yes, we're very lucky to be sitting in nice, decently weathered. I mean, this, this weather right here is fine. I mean, yeah, it's Phoenix in August, but it's, it's good for Phoenix in August right now. And, you know, we're not living in tents. I know where I'm going to sleep tonight. I know what I'm going to eat tonight. And that's lucky. And um, a lot of people can't say that. And... Um, I I hope that an army of artists comes along one day and says let's let's change that and, and they, they change it with, with art and, and education of art. Um, one of my goals I wanna make make a bunch of money and, and give it all to music schools and like go to schools that don't have good music programs. I mean when schools run out of money and right now a lot of schools are running out of money, what's the first thing they cut? The arts. And that's how we get the the kids out of the box, you know? Um, so so that's that's what I'm all about, and I'll get off my soapbox there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so do you start with a message when you're looking at a project? Do you start by saying, I want to find something that's going to make people happy, and you kind of work it into a story, work it into a structure, or do you start with something more more structured and you find the themes as you go? 
That's a really interesting question. Um, I'm thinking specifically with static. I can't remember. Honestly, it usually starts with an image. Most of my stories started with an image of this scene or this kind of thing or, um, you know, and, and then I just kind of branch off from that. This was more about the opening scene of this guy um, going to work and finding a giant box at his desk with a note that says, get in. And, um, and all the stuff that happens afterwards is just out of control. And um, so... So you see this image in your head and it's... Is it just like kind of loaded with some kind of emotion and you're trying to find like, all right, where is that going to take me? That type of thing? Yes. Yeah. Um, this movie took a long time to write because I think it took a long time to come out of my mind. Um, this, this movie um, is something very special to me and is about something that I believe very deeply. And this movie started... Honestly, this movie started as like a Mel Brooks movie. This was supposed to be a slapstick comedy with lots of satire, and, and it was supposed to be really outrageous, and um, with with a giant monster that talks like this, and a tiny hairy guy that talks like this, and um, which are still in the main story, but this is, Static is just a pilot to a, what I would like to make a trilogy or a TV series or something, but I would love to do a trilogy. I think that's the three two-hour movies, a six-hour story. I say this as a six to eight-hour story. And um, and that's it. Nothing else. And uh, but it's definitely. I wanted to make it a ninety-minute story. It's not. I, I and so I said, well, how do I do this? I said, well, just make a pilot. This is going to be about thirty minutes. I really don't want it to be longer than thirty minutes. And um, it this it started with this slapstick idea. But then I, as I started diving diving into the story, I started discovering more about the story. Uh, I my whole life I had English teachers who told me that when you're writing, you're not supposed to. You let your characters make the choices. You're not supposed to make choices for your characters. And it took me a long time to realize it, but I think that's it's true. Um, create the character, and they will guide you. Yes, a plot. you want the plot to move, but you put a character in a situation, and you let that unfold and unfold and unfold and unfold. And then once you're in the thick of the plot, you'll know what the character's going to do based on the character. And just as long as you're true to the character... Yeah. So would you say that uh, comedy is normally like a first instinct for you no. when you're putting something together? No. no, no. So, so what do you feel like that came from then? The idea that this is going to be something a little more sticky. Because it just came to me, I don't know. Um, the only other movie that I made that got huge audience appeal was the one not depressing movie. I mean, every movie, I mean, Tony, you've seen them, they're all depressing as shit. Drugs, suicide, this, that, blah, it's so depressing, they're beautiful. But the stories suck. They're too depressing. They're downers. You don't want to fucking see that. But the one that I made was me and my friends dancing around in colorful suits to this fun <laughs> pop song. People love it because it's fun. Yeah. Um, what I like about this movie, Static, is that it's fun, but it has a message. And yes, it gets tough because how do you learn a tough message without being tough? But the overall message is, hey, we can overcome this with happiness because the good guys win. I'm not making a movie when the bad guys win unless it makes sense to the story. If If... If the bad guys win because the good guys didn't listen to their gut and made a mistake because they went against what they thought, that would be I would do it that way because then it's like, oh, okay, we're learning a lesson here. Yes, the, the good guys lost, but we are still learning, oh, this is why they lost. Don't do that. Um, do you, do, I guess, what am I, for tropes, stuff like that, um, that people associate with, with movies and stuff come into your mind at all when you're putting something together? It's just the idea of, like, the movie where the bad guys win, that type of thing. It seems like such a, a, a growing thing nowadays. Is a lot, that's, that's the twist that happens in a lot of different movies. Is that something that's present in your mind when you're putting a story together? Like, either trying to avoid or lean into stuff like that? Yeah, I know right away. Yeah. I know right away. I knew right away the good guys were going to win this story. It's, 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 it's very obvious from the start that the good guys... I feel like I would be so dishonest with the audience if the good guys lost. I mean, yeah, sh stuff happens. It's, it's hairy, and they have to go through some intense stuff. And there's one very intense scene that um, I actually... I edited it one way. I edited it very long, and I gave someone a panic attack. And they watched it, and they had a panic attack. So I toned it down a little bit um, because I don't want to give people panic attacks, but I do still want it to bite. And, um, and that's... Well, it just seems like almost 
uncool nowadays in film to have a happy ending. Like, it seems like just after, maybe it's after 100 years of films with happy endings, like, people are just like, oh, great, it's a happy ending. Of course it is. That's not life, you know? That's not the real. And it seems like the most people will ever do is, like, an ambiguous, is it happy or not type ending. So, I mean, is that something that... I don't know. Do you, do you feel like that has any merit at all? Or do you feel like that's silly? I'm going to make movies enjoyable again. <laughs> Like that, yeah. Why not? Why not? Um, okay, so I want to jump back to something you mentioned today, uh, earlier today, um, <laughs> a second ago, where you were saying that you wanted it to start off as a six-hour story, and at least for this this portion, it ended up being closer to a half hour. Um, how do you decide like how much story you're going to get out of something? Is it literally not until the editing room that you know, or are you like writing something knowing that like this is going to be best as a short form medium? Well, I wrote, I wrote this, so I wrote Static is the prologue to Proof of Purchase. The whole point of Static is a guy goes to his desk, finds a box at his desk. The end of the movie is him getting in the box. In between that, we find out what happens, how the box got to him, and what the box means. Um, and then the beginning of Proof of Purchase, the original movie, which I didn't think of Static till a year ago. I've been writing Proof of Purchase for four Proof of purchase begins with Melvin going to his office, getting in the box, and then we go to wherever we go. And um, that's that's the movie and that's the story. And um, so I wrote this purposely. I wanted it to be 10 minutes, but it's th it ended up being 30 minutes because I let the characters tell the story and I couldn't make it shorter um, because there was just so much to explain. It's a very loaded world. It's in a different planet. So it really needs to make sense. Got it. So you don't set out to make a short film or a feature-length film or a music video or anything like that. You you kind of just let it play out and then do your best to make it a, a good, rounded beginning, middle, and end. Exactly. Because if there's a good, rounded beginning, middle, and end with a good hook at the beginning and an interesting story and a character arc and rising actions and falling actions and build and fall and build and fall and pound and fall, um, and it's good. So how do you see that on a page? How, how do you see if a script or a story has all of those things before you can jump into it. Script. Just read the script. Write the script. That's what it's about. You know how long it's going to be based on how many pages it's going to be. So I, I, I mean more so like just having that arc in there. I mean a lot of people have written scripts that don't necessarily have a good solid arc into it. Like how do you, how do you look at a script and know that it's like ready to shoot? I guess is my question. If every scene has a problem, a character that solves the problem, and that adds to the next scene me a very simple problem. I can't find my keys. They find their keys, but now they're late for work. They get to work, they're late. They have to deal with being late. Someone's mad at them. Well then, they got yelled at, so now they're grumpy, and then they have to go be grumpy to someone else. And You know, it's everything builds on everything, and everything has, it's, it's basically like you create the universe. The universe dictates how things are gonna happen. You know, you turn right instead of left, well now you're gonna T-boned by a car. Well now that you've been T-boned by a car, what's gonna happen? Oh, you went left instead. Well you made it to your date on time, but now your date's a shitty date and you wanna leave. So, it's every turn has to lead to another fork. And if every fork leads to another turn, to another fork, I know I'm, it, yeah. but it's, every scene needs to build. The first scene needs to bite, and then the second scene needs to build, and then build, and then build, and then build. And then you definitely want to have moments where it breathes, but you never want to go down. You want to build and then maybe plateau for a little tiny second. Let it breathe, and then just when the audience is comfortable, pop them up again. And, and the conflict has to be there. This, it's conflict, 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 conflict. I understand that there are movies about watching a person's life. Like, there will be blood. We spend the first 30 minutes with this guy digging, and it's like, oh, wow, is this what it was like? I guess so. Um, but he still had a problem. His problem was that he wanted oil, and he didn't have any. And it's a very simple problem, but it's a problem. And that's what I'm talking about. It's not necessarily that it needs to be a problem problem, just a character doesn't have something that they want. Have the character go for what they want. It's so simple when you put it that way. And it's there's definitely something poetic to the idea that life is just a series of problems you're trying to solve before the next one arrives. Uh, but uh, going to kind of just the technical sense again with being a director, um, you seem to like I mean just because I've I've known you for quite some time and I know you from school, it seems like you you do 
like have a, a stable of people that you kind of are able to go back to and use whenever you need somebody, like you have these kind of reliable people built up. Um, is that something that you feel like is, is important to, to being a director? Do you, do you see like the value of using the same people every time? Do you feel like it ever becomes a hindrance? Just kind of talk on that. Does it, I'm going to repeat the question because I want to make sure. Does it become a hindrance to do what? Um, I guess when you're when you're working with the same people every time, especially if it's oh, like you're working it, with school, like do you feel like it, it ever hinders you to not explore other people? Yeah, yes and no. Okay. Um, sometimes yes, um, and sometimes you know when you work with someone for a long time. Okay, they have one bad day. You don't want to fire them because of one bad day. Um, you work with someone for a short period of time. They have one bad day. You're gone. Um, in my eyes. Um, but you know, you, you work for a long period of time with me, you can have a bad day and that's okay. Um, you have a lot of bad days in a row, even after years, I might warn you and then I'll be like, all right, we're bringing backup in. Um, or I'll threaten with backup. Hey, you need to clear your act up or I'm going to get backup because I, I can't work with you right now because you're not doing what you need to. Um, I always push everyone around me to be the best creative they can and to be the hardest worker they can. And, um, I don't. A wise man named Rob Dickinson once said, all you got to do is smile and hang out with intelligent people. And when you stop saying intelligent things and you stop being intelligent um, around me and you start being destructive and not productive to the creative environment, I don't want you around. Um, fortunately, with most of my crew and the people that, I mean, look, like Haley Nishida, I've been making movies with Haley Nishida for eight years. Um, you know, there are some other guys that I've been working with for super long times. And... Um, and I'll, I'll shout out a bunch, I mean, you know, um, and at Sam Cephaly, the production designer on, uh, or the artistic director production designer on Static, you know, he, he, he and I have been doing art together for a long time. This is the first movie we really made together, but he's always been watching my edits, helping me out. You know, he's always been a part of the filmmaking process. And those guys, I mean, those guys are always looking to be creative like me. So it's, I guess I just don't surround myself with people like that. And if I do find those people, I try to avoid them. Um... You know, you, you don't want to be with negative energy. And sometimes you just don't mesh with people, and that's okay. Um, but don't force yourself to mesh with people. Um, I think it's only a hindrance if you let it be a hindrance. Um, if you strive to be around good people, and if you put out positive energy, even if you're a dick sometimes. You know? Is, the, is being in like the, the professional world a big step away from being like within the college world because I know a lot of people start off going to film school stuff like that doing I mean I know that you did stuff for like the UTV station university like filming and stuff like that I mean is it is it ever something that you feel like didn't really prepare you as well for that do you feel like there's it was worth it colleges don't know shit about grip and electric they don't teach grip and electric I know certain new Scottsdale Community College does mm -hmm. um, but even still I've Scottsdale Community College has a great program. I've worked with grips from that program um, who are very talented filmmakers but don't necessarily understand grip or electric. And that's okay because they understand creativity and they, they're very good workers. Um, they just don't understand grip. I mean, there are rules to grip. Like when you're rigging things, you're putting heavy shit above people's head. There are rules to that because if you don't follow those rules, someone's going to get hurt. Creatively speaking, there are no rules. And yes, you can be creative and grip and you have to figure out how to rig things in different ways. But when something's hanging over someone's head, there, there is... I better stay there. <laughs> there is no such thing as a right or a wrong way to rig something. There is safe and unsafe. And if it is unsafe, it is wrong. Because if that... And I always tell the grips that I work, if that falls on someone's head, I'm coming after you. And I'm not paying for it. My insurance isn't paying for it. You're paying for it. Because you rigged that. And I know my insurance has to pay for it and blah, blah, blah. But I... I hold my grips accountable. You know, every every key grip I always worked with held me accountable, mm -hmm. and um, you know, and I'm glad you brought that back up because I'm curious. Like, how did you get into that position specifically when you were out working in LA? I got really lucky, and I signed up to be a free PA on a movie that didn't have any grips. And they said, "Hey, we need someone to work grip," and I said, "I'll do it," because I liked lighting, and that was definitely. A natural fit and so I gripped the whole time I didn't do any PA shit it was great I just gripped and I didn't know shit about grip I worked for free though we had a I think it was a one ton, yeah like a one-ton van that was filled a full one-ton van with which was definitely enough to get shit done I mean and enough it was grip 101 you know I worked with C stands I worked with lights I worked with four buys floppies I we built an eight by a couple times um, and that was you know it was a two-week shoot and 
um, I was really able to understand, oh, this is what gripping is. And this, you can really learn a lot about light through learning how to shape this shit. Do you feel like that is something, I mean, do you're always going to have a key grip who's willing to kind of teach and stuff on the job like that? No. Or, okay. No. You feel like you got lucky with that? No, I got real lucky. I got okay. super lucky. Um, and uh, that, yeah, I got really lucky. Uh -huh. um, this guy, this DP out in LA, I don't know, I haven't talked to him in a while, um, but he, I know he's still doing work and I, and I hope he's getting a lot of work because he was a really big, you know, we would go up on the ladder together and he would show me, so this is how you're gonna rig it. He would show, hey, this is how you put the camera together. I mean, it was a small shoot, so he showed me everything. And I'd show up early and watch him build camera and he would show me the ropes and this is what you do, this is what you do. And he would get grips who really knew what they were doing so they could teach us too. And, um, you know, I learned a lot. I also learned a lot just how to behave on set and how to be professional. Um, how do you mean? Like, it's a work environment. Yes, it's a creative work environment, and it's fun, and it's a lot more laid back than most. You still gotta be professional. You can't go on and be a dick around because no one's gonna wanna work with you. This is work. Yes, it's fun, and it's creative, and we would rather be working doing this than anything else, but at the same time, I don't wanna work with people who don't wanna work with me. Definitely fair. Now, I mean, I know you, you said earlier that being a director, like ideally you're kind of the least technical person on, on set, but how important is it do you think that, if you're just knowing that you're trying to get into the film industry, to learn like every position that you can? It really helped me. I don't think it's necessary, but it really helped me. Um, I also, I'm very lucky, I mean I've been doing this a long time, you know, I, I've been thinking about this for a long time, practicing it for a long time, and I've been lucky, you know, like I've been doing more with sound, I've learned so much about Foley and sound and sound design and all that on this, and you know, I really am learning everything because I'm trying to pick up, even if it's only little pieces about everything, it's great, but overall I'd say really focus on what you want to do. If you want to direct, direct. If you want to DP, DP. If you want to grip, grip. Um, don't only PA or don't only grip. That was my problem. I gripped because I could get work gripping, but I wanted to direct. Yeah, it's harder to direct because you gotta have your own money and you gotta make your own shit. But if you wanna be a director, make your, direct your own stuff. No one's gonna let you direct until they see something that you can direct that's good. So do it on your own. No one's gonna let you DP unless you DP on your own. You know? Just keep doing the stuff. Doing the position, do the position you wanna do and you'll find it. Now, going off that a little bit too, I know that you've done some kind of commercial stuff too. Um, as far as like filming goes, cinematography and all that. So how did you get into that? And like, how is that process different than making something creative, I guess? Well, as a grip, you're never creative. Even if you're doing a movie, as a grip, you're just, you're just making it look good. You know, you're doing whatever the director and the DP, what the DP wants and the key grip, but, um, and, um, I mean, and I know you've like filmed events and stuff oh, like that too, right? Oh, yeah. like corporate events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like yeah, that yeah kind of corporate work. stuff. Yeah. Um, that's where you really need to learn professionalism. That's where it's not about, it is not about the image you create in those environments. It is about the presence you have and your energy and are you creepy with the camera? You know, if you're running around an event, shooting an event, are you creepy? Are you shooting girls? Are you shooting pictures of girls in revealing ways? Like, I definitely have worked events where there have been photographers getting fired for being on their knee taking pictures of girls in skirts. And um, I don't think they meant to do it I really don't, and I don't think they were looking at it, but why do you need to get on a knee to take a picture when you're in a public setting? You want people's faces at this corporate event, you know? And, um, and I just think the person, the woman wearing the short dress um, was just not having a good day or something, I don't know. Yeah, but so it's, it's whatever, you know, Every I get it. If I was a woman in a short dress, I wouldn't want someone on a knee taking a picture of me either. So, but besides the point, that in the corporate world, it's much more about how you present yourself than, like, I, sh I usually shave for corporate stuff. Yeah. I'll shave or I'll trim my beard up or, um, you know, when I wear a suit and tie, and I look good when I go shoot that stuff because cause you got to. Because it's not, they don't care that about your industry. This is their industry and you're just documenting it. But you need to assimilate and you need to fit in. How do you stumble into work like that? Hustle. All right, so I mean, is it just kind of people you know? Or did you just kind of put yourself out there, that type of thing then? Find companies that do it, and do it, and do it, and do it, and get experience. And um, find companies that do it, intern. Look, you gotta work for free. If you want experience, you're gonna have to work for free. If you don't know anything, people will let you work for free if you wanna learn. Um, once you get to knowing stuff, then just 
then you don't want to work for free unless you're trying to go to LA and get your name out there. Um, but if you want experience anywhere, even in Phoenix, work for free. Um, I understand it sucks. I get it. Um, but if you don't know how to do something, most people will show you if you're working for free. Like if I have people working, actually nobody works for free on static because I didn't, I wouldn't let that happen. Granted, wages were very not good, but it's the principle of the thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but nobody, nobody worked for free. Um, so but. So I'm glad you brought that up because this is something that I've, I've talked to with a few different people on and I always like to hear people's take on it. So like, how did you know that you were at the level that you were worth being paid? Like when, when did you take that step where you're like, I can't work for free anymore? When I was... I mean, I'm never above working for free if it's the right project. If someone wants me for a day or two to do something awesome, I'll do it. Um, especially if I've got nothing else going on um, because it's fun um, but I told myself honestly after my first paid commercial it was a it was a Callaway golf commercial that paid very well and after I did that I said you know if I'm gonna do stuff like this where it's really intense work I'm not doing it for free and um, you know and it, you know I'm not above free work if it, the project calls for it but I'm also not gonna um, I'm not going to sell out to the corporate world for free because that's the thing is this is how I knew I was ready to be paid all the time when someone asked me what my rate was and I said my rate and they said no thank you your rate's too low that's when I said I'm worth being paid because I was like yeah you're right I'm not worth that much I'm worth more money than that and and so from that and then there were times the next few times, people would ask me around rates. I would say ridiculous rates. I would say stuff that I would just blurt out a number, and, and if they don't like it, they can talk me down. It's fine. I'll, I'll drop in half if they want it. Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. Great. Let's do it. And, um, and that's when I realized, yeah, I'm worth it. And it's because that's the thing is no one's going to tell you you're worth money. You have to tell yourself you're worth money. I, I like, I'm going to shout out a, a previous guest, Will Hightower, who he put it in a way that I think is really interesting. Like he said, there's a kind of triangle of three P's that you have to lean into when you're doing a, a project where you, it's either the people, the paycheck, and the project, and you can only really have two of them at once. You can either do a pr really interesting project with the really great people, but you're probably not going to be paid much for it, or you can do the corporate thing that's really into the paycheck, and maybe you have some good connections out of it, but the project is not creatively satisfying at all. Yeah. So. I feel like it's kind of touching around the same thing you reminded me. I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Yeah. It seems like what, what you were kind of saying there, I like that. Um, but I think it's a really great concept of saying, like, you really just kind of somewhat sit down and tell yourself, like, I, I've, got, I've got it. If you don't believe in yourself in this industry, nobody will. Yeah, true. Now, um, <laughs> I, I am kind of curious, too, because I know that you do a little bit of acting. You've done some acting on stage that I've seen, and I mean, you acted in Static, which is fucking craziness. I love it. Um, do you ever think about leaning more into that side of things, or leaning more heavily into just the writing side of it? Every movie I ever make forever, I will have a small role in. Maybe one day, if I directed a bunch of, maybe, you know what, maybe one day, if I was a lead actor, I wouldn't direct, but you know, if the role called for, I only like fun roles, I only like, um, typically supporting roles are the one that, you know like a Tenardier and Les Mis would be something for me you know the fun roles the character roles the Iago or I guess it's a villain I don't I guess it'd be a good villain um, and um, you know so yeah I would love to do a role a big role but I wouldn't direct it um, because I just you know I mean acting for 30 seconds in static was really hard actually to direct and act and, and you know there are a couple things about that scene that I wish I was looking in the monitor because I would notice them so and what about the writing? Because I mean, you, I've, I've known that you like write all your own scripts, obviously, and stuff like that. Have you ever thought about writing a script for another person? Or would you feel like you'd be too protective of it? Depends on the script. As of right now, all the scripts I have written, no one's directing them but me. Um, but maybe that'll change. Uh, maybe I'll write a script that I think will fit someone else. Um, the reason why is because I write in images. I don't write in words. So... Now, again, leaning into that, since you do have acting experience and you know, do know what it's like on the other side, um, how do you approach like a casting process? 
I don't. If I ever get a role, it's going to be asked of me. Well, I mean, you casting other people. Oh, me casting other people. Yeah. Diana Price was my casting director on Static, and she nailed it. She, casting, you know, she was the one who set up the casting, and she did all that. You know, get a casting director. Get a casting director. They'll help. But then you sit there with a the casting director, and you watch. And, um, and you, you have to weigh a couple things. A, what's their attitude going to be like on set? Number one, do I think you're going to be a good sport? Um, there were a couple guys during auditions, they weren't good sports. So why do I want to, why do I, they didn't follow direction. Why do I want to deal with that? Um, and then some other people were really good to work with, but they were not very talented. And so you got to find this balance of talent and good to work with. And, and you know, I just, it felt right. And for callbacks, I actually only called back the people that I was going to cast. And I didn't tell them. And I just told them it was callbacks. And, um, and I already knew that that's who I was going to cast. Them, but I wanted to see them together. When I saw them together, that's when I knew I was right. But since I disguised it as callbacks, I could have easily said, all right, go home and I'll let you know. And told them, no, you don't get the role. Um, so, you know, it, it just depends on... But casting is all about chemistry between the actors, chemistry between you and the actor, and the actor's talent. But really not so much the actor's talent, but how much the actor embodies the character and how well the actor can embody the character that you want them to play. That's probably why it's kind of nice to be able to put yourself in your movies is because you can give yourself the role that fits you best. <laughs> oh yeah, I knew from the very beginning what role I was going to be. I thought about being your role, could've but then... Been. Yeah, but I could yeah, um, okay, well, I think that's probably a good time to kind of start wrapping it up. Because um, I do like to ask a couple questions at the end. Um, first off, uh, is there any other artists, just of any discipline, they don't have to be other filmmakers, just anybody that you want to give a shout out to? Kay Short, um, she's really big in the radio and hip hop scene, does a lot of photography. Uh, Peddler, they do P E D D L R. Um, they're a blog and they're a website, and they do really cool stuff. They're all about promoting Phoenix art and stuff. Um, I'll probably show them this to promote this. Um, you know, I don't know him, but Andrew Jackson Jihad, he's a musician. Um, you know, I'm, I like what he stands for. I know he's from, he's from around here. Um, Authority Zero is from around oh, here. Authority Zero. They don't need our shout out. They don't need our him. shout out, but I'm doing it because they're, they're, <laughs> yeah. about, they're about AZ and repping it and repping the punk rock scene, which I'm all about. Mesa, right? Mesa. They're from Mesa, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and um, some other, you know, Aiden Chaperoni was my DP, Justin, Justin Moscow is my sound guy, Molly Jaisa, Ayanna Irwin, David Wolfwood, Keith Obit, Rebecca Gambino, they're all the leads in the movie. You know, they really, they all kicked ass. You know, Tad Sully, um, they all kicked ass. Tony Moschetti, you, Moschetti, you kicked it. Um, I'm trying to think of other artists. Um, there's so, you know, there's a lot of Phoenix artists. Um, you know Mark McDowell. I mean, he's in, he's one of the, he's been around for a while, yeah. and he's been an artist, paint, doing a lot of pencil drawings on wood for a while, and he's a very talented artist, doing a whole lot of different stuff. And you know, and they're really keeping the art here in this area alive because they believe in it. And um, I wish I, you know I've been thinking about names all day, and I've been having a hard time thinking about them. But I know we got to the, the end part already, but that doesn't really bring up a question I'm curious about because you know, you were kind of talking about. Um, before we started rolling about how uh, there is kind of a, a bigger arts in here than people might think but it's kind of like the old guard of, of the arts that have been here forever so how do you feel like that marries with like new new people coming in? It's hard because the old guard is the old guard and they don't want the, the, the new wave they don't really it's not I don't I don't want to speak for them yeah um, but I just you know I think they think that if you believe in what they believe, that they'll accept you. And um, th it's not necessarily that they're secretive. They just kind of keep to themselves because they just don't care. It's not that they're trying to be reclusive. They just, that's just what they do. And, um, but they're still, you know, they still, they're not really that reclusive. If you know it's there, you'll find it. Like, there's groups of Arizonans who've been living in Arizona. The Arizona art community that's been around since the 50s and 60s, those are the people that are still driving it now. And those passing it down and keeping it, you know, Paul Dyke, he's not alive anymore, but Paul Dyke was, he lived up somewhere up by, like, Black Canyon, no, probably further than Black Canyon City. You had to take the 17 up past yeah. New River somewhere. I don't know where. He, he had tons of land, and he would paint the land. You know, and he was really, Paul Dyke, an amazing painter. And he was really about showing the beauty of Arizona. And, and you know, guys like him and um, Philip Curtis, um, who's no longer a live painter, 
Um, they were the first artists, no, I guess I can't say the first because the Native Americans have been doing art forever, um, but those are the white American artists who learned from the natives, I think. I'd say probably more Paul Dyke than, than Philip Curtis, um, but you can see in their style even. Um, and, uh, you know, there are communities of art out here, and it's not that they are secretive or private. They just... They don't advertise. They don't advertise because they, they don't want to get huge. Because they don't, the people that want to find it will find it, and they'll let them find it. But they don't want fame because it's not about fame for them; it's about art. I love it. All right, so moving on from that, um, if you do want to advertise, <laughs> what, what would you like to plug for yourself? Where's Toast Films? That's that's our movie. That's the our production company. Static proof of purchase. Where's toes? Just like it sounds. Um, where is toes? Films. So where apostrophe s toes t o e s films. Um, it's there's a joke. Where's toes? With my friends because I had um I had this little trinket that I named toes. Um, this like thing that my friend gave me for Christmas one year. And it was the first year I ever celebrated Christmas, and um, and. Uh, he gave me this thing, and my friend, it's like this weird, like, sculpture thing that you put on a desk or something. And uh, my friends and I would start hiding it around everywhere. <laughs> and, uh, where's Toes? Where's Toes? I don't know, where's Toes? And where's Toes Films? That's awesome. All right, so I didn't mean to cut you off. Okay, so where's those Films? Where they can find you, social media? Um, no. I think they find Where's Toes Films anyway? Not yet. Okay. When we'll keep static, an eye out for it. September, mid September, late, late October. Let's go October. October, start looking for static. It'll be around. Alright, cool, keep an eye out. Any other projects you want to plug? Anything else you got on the horizon you want people to think about? Look out for Sundance. Look out for Sundance. Look out for Sundance. Right on. Okay, so the last thing I like to ask everybody is if you were to see somebody who was just starting out, you know, their first day into a foray into being a Phoenix artist, what would you want to tell them? The basest of all things is to be afraid. That is a William Faulkner quote. The basest, B-A-S-E-S-T. So basically the lowest of all things is to be afraid. It's scary. It's a big world. And here it's a little film world. It's not LA, but it's also kind of nice that it's not LA because if you're just starting out, people are going to be more willing to help you learn. Um, just do it. Um, if you don't know anything, it's because you haven't done it. This is not. You're not going to learn this by reading it out of a book. Um, you're going to learn by doing. Do it. And keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And you'll do it so much that you'll be either realize, oh, I don't want to do this like I thought I did. Or I love it so much that I need to do it and I will figure out a way to do it. Um, but you can't do something that you've never done. Can't do something that you've never done. The basis of all things is to be afraid. I love it. All right, Jacob, thank you so much for your time. <laughs> thank you, Tony. <laughs> Special thanks to Nick Machete for writing our theme music and Taylor Machete for all of her support. If you are enjoying the podcast so far, don't forget to follow us and leave nice ratings on Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Pinecast.co. And if you or someone you know is pursuing something artistic in the Phoenix area and you'd like to be on the podcast, write to me at starvingartistsphx at gmail.com.